Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for a special bonus episode of Therapy for Black Girls. We'll get into our conversation right after a word from our sponsors. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first, and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. For the first time in a while, I have quite a bit of fun travel coming up this summer, and I'm really counting on Macy's to help round out my wardrobe for some of these trips. Right now, I've got my eye on a new bag and sandals from Coach and some super cute tops and dresses from Macy's On 34th brand. And you can never really have too many pairs of sunglasses. And there are a lot of cute options to explore right now. If you need a little help getting your summer look together, shop at Macy's.com ownyourstyle. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Before we get into it, please note that this episode does include spoilers for the new Peacock series, The Best Man Final Chapters. So if you haven't had the opportunity to watch, please put this episode on pause and return once you've had your time to enjoy the series. 
Since its 1999 theatrical premiere, the Best Man franchise has been a beloved staple within our community. It was the talk of the town once again when the sequel, The Best Man Holiday, debuted in 2013. And now, 24 years later, under the direction of Malcolm D. Lee and featuring the original acclaimed cast, a.k.a. the Justice League of Black Hollywood, The Best Man Final Chapters has once again ignited our conversations on what it means to be in community with friends and family. The kind of interpersonal relationships that know you well enough to tell you all about yourself and hold space for you when you've lost who you are. To discuss the Best Man Final Chapters in depth, this week, I'm in conversation with my beloved TBG team members, content director Cameron Taylor and content specialist Gorgeous West. In our conversation, we explore how the limited series met and missed our expectations, which character dynamics we were most enthralled by and disappointed in, and how we feel knowing that these are our final moments with Quentin, Shelby, Harper, Robin, Merch, Candace, Lance, and Jordan. If something resonates with you while enjoying our conversation, please share it with us on social media using the hashtag TVG in session. Or you can come on over and join us in the sister circle to talk more in depth about the episode. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Here's our conversation. So I'm so excited to be joined by two new members of our team today. So Gorgeous West and Cameron Taylor are joining me today to talk about one of our new favorites, the Best Man Final Chapter. So Cameron and Gorgeous, do you want to share who you are and what you do here at Therapy for Black Girls? Yes. So my name is Cameron Taylor, as you mentioned, and I am the content director for Therapy for Black Girls. My name is Gorgeous West and I'm a content specialist with Therapy for Black Girls. Very excited to have both of you joining us. So I think like many people, you both were spending some of your holiday break binging the best man final chapters. So I do want to get started by just talking. So I love that we are also at different points in our own lives, because I think that lends a bit of diversity to how we are entering into the best man universe. Right. So tell me, how were you introduced to the very first the best man? So that came out originally in 1999. So where were you in your life? Did you were you even watching The Best Man in 1999? Probably not. I think for me, Dr. Joy, I was young at the time. So I was one of those kids by default that had to go with their mom and sister to the movie theater to watch the film. And then whenever the scenes were inappropriate, that's when they covered my eyes. But that's when I was first introduced to The Best Man, the whole series and platform. And when did you watch it again, like as an adult, like when you understood what was happening? I was in college. Yeah, I watched it again in college. Okay. And what about you, Cameron? Yeah, so I actually can't even remember when it was, like, introduced to me. I think I just always knew of it as, like, a classic. And obviously, like, my parents were like, there are a few, like, movies that you must have under your belt. And The Best Man was, of course, one of them. So it's just always been in my life, in our family's lives for years. Got it. And I was in college, so I was a junior in college, so I saw it in real time. And so I definitely feel like I have grown up with the characters. You know, it definitely felt good to see. We had the first one, of course, in 99, and then the holiday in 2013. And then we were reintroduced to the characters all grown up and in really into their lives with the Best Man Final Chapters. So tell me about your experience of watching the Best Man Final Chapters. So first, what was your reaction to even finding out that we were getting the final chapters as a special or limited run series on Peacock? 
I'm not even going to lie. I was a little curious as like how they were going to do this. Like the best man to me just stands alone, like the original movie. And I was like, they're going to do a whole series. What is this going to even look like? So after watching it, I was like, aha, like I see there's a lot of character development, which was very, very, very pleasant to see that they did all of the characters justice. I think for me, Dr. Joy, I was hesitant. So I'm one of those people, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I was like, are they really about to do this? Are they going to do it correctly to where it doesn't feel rushed? I had a lot of questions going into it because it's one of those things. The best man is a classic within itself. So it's like, if you mess it up, then it's like this to mess up the whole like nostalgic aspect of it for me. And so I was like, okay. I'm going to give it a shot. And that's what I did. So once I watched it, I was like, okay, they did that. I was very impressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like both of you, I was also a little apprehensive, but I think also just more excited to see, okay, where are we going to be with these character storylines like this many years later? And what is going to be the progression of the stories since we first saw them in 1999? I was also particularly, I think, encouraged because like the original showrunners and like the executive producer was still involved, right? So I think it would have been a little bit more concerning to me if either like the people who were writing the storylines weren't the same or if they had changed any of the characters right so if we had not seen some of the characters who were in that original film I think it would have felt a little bit more like eh, I don't know but I definitely was very excited and I also think that they did it justice so tell me any storylines any particular characters that you felt very strongly about either you were very pleased with the story or you were like "Mm -mm, they didn't do this person justice any people stand out for you Yes, (laughs) I will say in a positive way, like in a positive light, I was really pleased with the way that they developed Quentin and Shelby. At first, I thought like these are kind of like superficial characters. You've got the player and then you have Shelby who's like very, again, like I said, superficial. But the depth that they went into their character development throughout the series was like probably the biggest surprise. Like learning so much about them and then also just seeing like Terrence Howard like his acting chops I mean obviously we've always known that he's a great actor but seeing him in this role was like really truly like amazing to me so those two definitely stand out in like a positive way mm-hmm. yeah and I would agree with you like I was not really a fan of Shelby like coming into this right because I think she was more of a like outskirts kind of character and I was not expecting to like really enjoy her as much as I did but I did really love where they went with that storyline I though was confused about why Nicole Ari Parker's character was introduced anyway right because it it felt like we only had her for a very short time before they put Quentin and Shelby together and so I'm guessing that was maybe a part of like okay this is how we get introduced to Lance's eventual new boo right but it did feel like a little confusing to me like why we introduced Nicole Ari Parker's character in the first place when she really wasn't a part of the story for very long. I think Nicole Ari Parker, her role was there just so that we could see that back and forth at the resort between Nicole Ari Parker and Shelby, like when she's talking about her being with her man and it's just like very in your face. Like for me, that was just like such a pivotal scene and also a scene where I started to see like Shelby's maturity was like 
when Nicole Ari Parker was about to leave, I think that one of the last episodes where we see Shelby is looking at Nicole Ari Parker and she's like, you know, if you hurt him, it's going to be over for you. And that's what really kind of like settled. And I'm like, oh, okay, so there's going to be some depth to Shelby this go round. I think for me, I felt like that was a representation of current day, like how relationships and couples, when people get with new people and you're like, well, wait a minute. I don't remember you being like this back in the day. You've been with this person and now you didn't switch up. And so you remember in the series, both Harper, everybody was like, Quinn is not the same. He's not the same. And they were trying to contribute that to his relationship with her. And in that sense, that switch up or that shift in him kind of made his friends kind of question who he was currently because he was doing things differently. He was like this whole new holistic person with his new energy and they were all contributing that to that relationship. So I felt like that was like a representation of current day, how sometimes when your friends or people you know and have known for a long time, when they get into new relationships, they change and they shift. And the person you once know them to be might not be that same person anymore. Mm-hmm. You bring up an interesting point there, Gorgeous. And I wonder if we can talk a little bit about like how that might play out in the real world, right? Because, you know, I think for... Most of it, we saw them continuing to be supportive, right? So it very much felt like they had concerns about like, okay, who is this new person Quentin is with? But they were like, okay, well, if he's happy, we're going to go along with it, right? But in the real world, if you have a friend who, you know, is engaged or, you know, in a long-term relationship with somebody who you are looking at a little questionable, how might you handle that? I want to say that I would be as supportive as all of the other people, were. I think some elements of support would be there, but I do think that there would be an element of me that, you know, just very direct with that friend, kind of like, I don't know how I feel about this. And especially if I found that it was impacting their character in some way, impacting the human that they are and the person that I'm friends with, then I think I could see it going a little different. I think, Dr. Joy, that's something you would have to tread very lightly because you could be considered a hater, right? The hater friend if you confront that friend, what are you on? Like, you're not who I know you to be. But then it's like, you have to let people grow and elevate, right? So it's like, who I know you to be, you could have grown to this new version of yourself. So I have to be open to that. But I also agree with you, Cameron, like addressing it or, you know, having a conversation about it, but being very tactful in how you do it. And it really feels like that's the role Harper had for most of it, right? Like, I think he was the one who was most skeptical of who Quentin had become in this new relationship. But he also was the one who, like, drove the getaway car when he was like, okay, do you want to go to the airport to make sure she's getting on the plane, right? So it's like, okay, I'm going to be open to this, but I'm also going to give you an out, you know, if at any moment you decide that you're ready to roll. Okay, so let us talk about Merch and Candace, who we see now, they have a whole family, they're settled into their family life. Candace, it sounds like after the wedding experience has opened up this whole new interest into, it sounds like more traditional healing and like alternative medicine kinds of thing. So we see her going back to school and we do see it to me feels like a little bit of like an identity crisis kind of situation with Merch. So share any thoughts that you have about Candace and Merch and what we saw of them throughout the series. I'm so glad that you brought that up, Dr. Joy, because that was one of the notes that I mentioned in the sense of that shift, especially with Candace. In the very first Best Man, she was the dancer for the bachelor party. 
And so to see her character evolve to now being a wife, a mother, a scholar, you know, pursuing her education and then, you know, working with the schools and then with the children, it was a huge shift as to who you first saw her as to the woman, you know, she's become. And then also for Merch, in the sense of like him, his development of character and becoming more of like, okay, y'all not going to keep playing me like this wimp or this soft person. He definitely, you can see him not wanting his friends to hold him back as the version of himself he once was and, you know, really embrace who he is now. So I think as a couple, they both represented kind of like that change or like the role development change from who we first saw them as to who we now see them as, you know, in this finale aspect. I love how deep they went with Merch's character, just in terms of that shift. And like, you see the way that that old identity and the way that his friends have been treating him, the way that society is treating him, the way that just culturally our world treats Black men. Like, I love the way that they investigated that and really did show how much it was deeply affecting him. Like in that scene where... He's going through all of the different ways that he would approach the white woman when he finds her having lunch with her friends. Like, we were able to see that side of merch, but I think all of us could kind of identify with a little bit of what he was going through. Like, all of the different things that you would say to somebody who made you feel a type of way. And then also we're able to see, like, how that impacted, like... The relationship with his kids as well again like as a black man like how do you as a father as a parent all of these things like how are you showing up for your kids knowing that there is this like hierarchy in society i thought that was really awesome and i'm proud of them for kind of like delving into that yeah and i think related to the identity piece you know it feels like it started when he was not chosen to be Quentin's best man, right? So there was something very much wrapped into who he thought he was in the circle that I think we then saw play out in other areas of his life, right? And so I think it showed up there, but then it also showed up when Candace was going back to school and he became more of the like stay-at-home dad in a lot of ways, right? And so then started doing MMA fighting, I guess is what it would be captured as an outlet, right? And kind of to, to have something for himself. What did you all make of of him struggling so much with not being chosen to be Quentin's best man? I think for me, it was one thing that he tried to downplay, right? So he was trying to make it not be such of a big deal, but it really was a big deal to him. And I think essentially in friend groups and friend circles, you want to be that chosen one. You want to feel like you have that level of importance or significance in your friends' lives. And so To not be chosen, I think that might have felt like a blow for him. Essentially, based on the history with Harper being the previous best man and what his past, you know, doings were in the first film. So, feeling like, well, dang, how he get it again? You know, what about me? Right. And not to mention, he wasn't that successful of a best man, (laughs) given all the history that Harper had, right? So, I can imagine Merch being like, what in the world? (laughs) Like, why would he get chosen again? And ultimately, we do see that he is eventually given that title. But it definitely seemed like something he was struggling with, you know, at least in the beginning that we saw come out later in the film as well. Yeah, like, I think, I mean, back into, like, unpacking Merch's identity, I feel like there's a part of him that just needed to feel needed, not just in his friend group, but then in his family as well. 
And like when he's not needed or that role shifts in any way, like you can just see the spiral just sort of take place. And again, I think that's something that like, like just applying that practically to anyone's life, like you can struggle with, I'm not needed in this way. What does that mean for me as a person? And that can be very scary to like actually confront uh, with Mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah, and I think in some ways, Candace was having some of that same like internal conversation, right? Like it definitely felt like when she stumbled upon this alternative medicine on the wedding trip, it feels like it was something that she felt like, oh, finally, like I have this thing that like is really speaking to me. Like I found the thing that really lights me up. And so we didn't see very many conversations between the two of them about you're going to go pursue this while I kind of take a step back. But I would imagine those were some interesting conversations, right? You know, to kind of say she's going to go full force into being back in school as opposed to being more the primary parent and doing more of the day-to-day kind of child rearing responsibilities. So the other thing that I think we see a lot, I think, from the beginning. So when Lance is first introduced to us in the final chapters, we see that he is continuing to struggle with significant grief. Right. And I think that this is one of the things that the show did really well was to talk about and to really display like how grief can look lots of different ways. And so from the movie to this series, it looks like it has been about two years since Mia's death. So we see that he is still reeling from the loss of Mia and who she was as his partner, as well as his children's mom. So gorgeous. I definitely want to hear your thoughts about what grief looked like throughout the series, especially related to Lance's character. Yes. Initially, you could tell challenge of the struggle. Of course, the loss of Mia was impactful for the whole collective of the group. But, you know, especially for him, because that was his partner. And like you said, his wife, someone that he envisioned living life with. And now he has to show up amongst his friend group as a solo and he doesn't have that partner. And that alone could be, you know, challenging. Hence, when they were talking about going to Quentin's wedding, it was kind of like, well, has anyone talked to Lance? Like, is he going? It was kind of up in the air because it was like, we all come together, but he's going to have to come alone. What does that mean? What does that look like? And in that sense, it's like adapting to this now new normal. And I think there might have been a lot for him initially, even going to the island, it was a lot for him to process, hence his excursions and extracurricular activities. But that was his way of coping. That was his way of navigating and processing through his feelings of grief of wanting to have some type of attachment or connection with someone because he hasn't had that. I think it reminded me of one of my favorites, Cranes in the Sky, where he was trying to sex it away. So, you know, I think to expand on your point, I don't even know that he was necessarily craving attachment. I think he just wanted to try to feel anything, right? Like it it felt like he was very much in a denial. I don't really want to deal with the fact that she's not here. And so I'm going to throw myself into all of these, you know, different sexual relationships just to try to feel something or to really kind of numb the pain that I'm feeling from her loss. You bring up a good point because I imagine that this probably was the first big friend group thing that they had all done probably since Mia had passed. And so the idea that now they are all even gathering for this big, you know, momentous occasion without somebody who was so incredibly important in their circle. So what did that mean for all of them? But also in particular, what did it mean for Lance? What were your thoughts, Cameron? (sighs) I'm happy you asked. Like I looked at that, 
part of the series and I was like, I totally understand grief or I can understand like wanting to feel something. But then there was just like a subtle part of me that was a little like disappointed or like a little like, okay, well, why does he have to grieve in such a way that a little bit of objectifying, not even a little, like a lot of it, like especially when like Merch and I think it was Merch and Harper like walking on him in the hotel room. He's got like three different ladies, two different. And I'm just like, geez, like back to back to back to back to back. When you juxtapose like Mia and who she meant, what she meant to him, to that depiction, it's a little cringy. So I will say I like cringed at that part. I mean, again, you know, gorgeous, your explanation of it, you know, it makes sense. I can understand and I can sympathize with it. And I think like essentially grief was a lot, that played a lot into his role just within the series, even in connection to his son, LJ, there was grief experience in that relationship dynamic too in regards to who he wanted his son to be, that identity of wanting to pass down like the legacy of football and you know him following his father's footsteps and then that not being the case. So it was like he was getting hit with grief in different ways. Mm-hmm. So I think we should then switch gears to talk about that storyline, right? I definitely wasn't expecting that, but I am glad that they included it because I do think it is I think the way that they included it is a typical what you would see in a black friend group like of the multiple different kinds of reactions right so we saw Jordan being like the cool auntie like I got your back if you need me to sit down and help you talk to your dad about this I got you Quentin trying to figure it out but but mostly being very affirming right and it felt again like I think an accurate depiction and also like his dad not necessarily being on board in the beginning but eventually kind of coming around what thoughts did you all have have about the inclusion of that storyline and how it was portrayed. I personally thought that they did it really well. And I'll say the reason why is because I was watching this with like my parents and we both were exposed to the best man like franchise different times, you know, and obviously we represent different generations as well. But like some of the like minor details, depending upon who you are, like some of the minor details that they like addressed and they unpacked during that part were so well done to me. Like, for example, when Quentin was like struggling with the pronouns, like that part was hilarious to us in so many ways because it's like a very real part of our culture right now. Like, especially when you're like weighing the dynamic between like one generation and the other one. So we were just laughing at that being just the reality of the situation. But then too, like, I was sort of like laughing at my parents. I was like, y'all got a hard time. Like, I loved the way that they analyze that and then they like brought that to the forefront and i think that it made sense to utilize lance's character to be the person that went through that especially when you consider all of the other kind of like you could say maybe even toxic masculinity that was happening at the beginning of the series good point i agree with you as well cameron in regards to like how just the development was definitely head on and point on. I think one part that really stood out was when they were on the group FaceTime call. And so it's like, this is the whole thing. Everybody's in the know. And it's like, well, don't you tell him, don't you tell him. And then the way he ends up finding out, everybody's, oh, now he knows. And he was the shock and the disappointment because everyone knew but him. 
So it was kind of like, okay, we tread the water of holding this because we feel like it gives LJ the chance to come up front and tell his father, or do we show up as friends and, you know, take this role? So it was kind of like seeing how they navigated that because that's a real thing when it's very hurtful when everybody's in the know about something and then you're not in the know and then you find out everyone knew you could feel betrayed. And so seeing kind of how that navigated and it being such a significant thing when it comes to his son, I liked how they displayed that. And I also liked how Lance met with LJ's friend's parents and had that sit down so he could hear other parents' experience. I think that showed a connection at a community that's important, especially for parents who have children that are part of the LGBTQ plus community and they're having challenges figuring out what this means for them. So to hear another parent's experience and perspective and see how they are navigating it was really good to see, especially with another Black family. I thought that was really good. More from our conversation after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Forum is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Forum believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Forum is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. 
APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. I also loved how we saw a bit of the next generation of the circle in that LJ was so close to Quentin and Shelby's baby. It definitely reminded me of like my own friend group. A lot of us have kids the same age. And so we're basically raising them as cousins, right? Which is what this kind of felt like, that they had such a close connection. Like LJ clearly felt very comfortable being who they were with Quentin and Shelby's child. And so I really enjoyed that too and thought like, oh, okay. So we're also getting to see like how they are forming connections with one another in the wake of the close relationships that their parents have with one another. And we saw some of that with Candace and Merch's children also, but it seemed like they were, I think the ages are a little different, right? And so they weren't quite as close, but we definitely saw it between Quentin and Shelby Child and LJ. I really appreciated how they paralleled Lance's perspective and position in both the original like Best Man and then the Best Man series where he's out of the loop and then like if you paid attention to the previous movie and like here he is again exposed to his son everybody knows about it but he's out of the loop yet again it just harkens back to that feeling of oh my god he's gonna be a mess we don't know like how he's going to be able to navigate this and i really appreciated that juxtaposition i thought it was really well done How did you feel about, and I saw this, to me, it was one of the like worst kept secrets. Like it was very clear that they were going to have some kind of love connection between him and the sister from the resort at the end. So how did you all feel about her kind of being the, you know, the love interest as we wrap up the series? I think for me, Dr. Joy, it was one of those things. It didn't make or break it. Like I didn't, I was like rooting for it and needed it. But I wasn't against it. I wasn't opposed of it, especially because they hadn't introduced any other character that he seemed interested in throughout the rest of the series. So it kind of like, okay, well, just to wrap things up, let's connect these two together. (laughs) That's kind of how I looked at it. I agree. I think that inevitably when you have like, a series that has so much history and all of these relationships and bonds have been fostered and developed. And then you bring this other character, she's new and it's not going to be the same like level. It just, to me, when you compare like the level of history that we have with all of the other characters, it felt a little rushed. We could take it or we could leave it. Mm. 
especially when like, you know, she was engaged at the beginning and then later all of a sudden she's like free and like available. It just seemed a little, I mean, I understand it's all make believe it, but that felt forced a bit. So let's talk about my girl, Jordan. So I feel like I probably was most disappointed with where we saw her, right? It definitely felt like she was stuck in some ways to me in who she had been in the 1999, like the premiere of the movie. So I see y'all shaking your head. So maybe you feel similarly. What were your thoughts about where we saw Jordan and how we saw her in the series? I agree with you, Dr. Joy, in the sense of her like seeming stuck. Well, not, well, yeah, because she was very career driven and focused then. And she was definitely there now. And it was to a heightened level to where it was practically, she wasn't even putting herself in the care of herself first. Her assistant had to ask her, like, do you practice self-care? Which I think was a good highlight for her to stop and pay attention to that she's just so driven on work, work, work. And it was causing her to have health issues and scared. She was taking medication. There was a lot going on there. And in the sense of her, like, pursuing anything outside of her career, in the sense of relationship or just anything, it was just everything was driven towards work. And outside of that, it was like when she realized, okay, well, what else could life bring or have for me? She experienced a little bit of, I feel like, grief of missed opportunities to have a different life, per se. I think Jordan's character is super complex. So just out of respect to the series and everything, I will say this. I like appreciated what Jordan represented from a mental health standpoint. I really do, again, like I said, appreciate the fact that they brought up this concept of self-care. I think to a generation of folks that like were still trying to get it together with self-care and, and you know, connecting it to her migraines, I felt like that was good. That was powerful. I'm happy that they brought that to the forefront. I also think that Jordan had some wins and I appreciated the relationship that Shelby and Jordan had from a career standpoint where she's putting her friend on. And just because the people in the room, the people at the table didn't initially like Shelby on camera, they didn't like her story arc or whatever, like Jordan didn't give up on her friend. I think that that's still a very, very, very important dynamic that people need to see is like more of that, like a sister helping a sister out like that. Where I just fall off a little bit or I just felt a little bit like, kind of rolled my eyes was that like the Harper Jordan like saga still persists. She don't need him. Like she don't need that man. Like she, she is good. You know what I mean? And like, I almost wonder what it would look like, especially as so much of like our audience, so much of the Therapy for Black Girls cohort is looking at women like who do not need to be with men. I almost like really kind of wanted to see what it would look like if she just, that wasn't a part of the narrative anymore. And I get, again, like there's a legacy of that relationship that exists and we have to kind of analyze it. But I think like, 2023 is the time to kind of investigate whether or not she can just be whole without that. Yeah. And I think that that's the part that felt stuck to me. Like it felt very much like 
1999, like early 2000s, when I think was when we were kind of first having these conversations around can women have it all, like black women especially, right? And it felt like she was still very much in that. But sometimes it felt like, of course, like she is this like VP level at a NBC. But we also see her like, is she interested in a significant relationship or is she not, right? So we see the introduction of to me, he was Terry Silver because that's where I saw him last in power, right? So I don't even know what the brother's name was in this show. It was Demetrius. Demetrius. Thank you. Thank you, gorgeous. Right. So we see the introduction of him. And so, you know, it's okay. Are they going to be serious? You know, he makes some significant efforts to try to like fit himself into her schedule, but then that doesn't work out. And so in some ways it kind of gave the impression that there was still like a part of her that was like holding a spot for Harper, right? Because we see them kind of flirt with like, okay, are they going to try it again, right? And so that to me, I think was very confusing and unnecessary, like to, I of course get it, right? Because as OG fans of the best man, like Harper and Jordan, are they are good? Are they not? But I don't think it was necessary. Like I agree with you, Cameron, and I feel like she didn't to me feel as advanced as I think she could have for a 2022, 20 23 kind of character so i think i was most disappointed but huge love for nia long right so i will watch whatever she is in but i would have loved i think to just see a little bit more character development there with her i'll say this i thought when she left her job i felt like that was like her stand like her making that mark in the stand so that was powerful just to see her turn away and be able to do that we sometimes feel like as women when we reach a certain level, we have to hold that. And it's like, no, I got to stay up here because I'm going to be the gatekeeper and bring other people on and other women. And she was just like, yeah, no, like enough is enough. I have to choose me. So seeing her choose herself in that and walk away from it, I think was very eye-opening and a good pivot. More from our conversation after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first 
and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in-store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. You may be aware that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies and life-saving measures. But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? You, along with the American Red Cross, regardless of your blood type, can help by donating blood. Every day, our blood saves lives and eases the pain for those living with sickle cell. When you donate blood, there is a direct, positive impact within our community. Right now, there is great need for blood donations in the African-American community. Every donation counts and makes a difference in someone's life. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. Okay, so we can round it out with Robin and Harper. So lots and lots of thoughts, I think, (laughs) about them. So what were your feelings around like where we see Robin and Harper and their baby now in the series, as opposed to, you know, he proposed at the end of the first movie, right? So we have now traveled with them through marriage and starting their family, different career moves. So what were your thoughts around where we saw them in this series? I think the biggest thing, the word for Harper and Robin was communication. I think that was just like the breakdown. And I don't know, that has been a theme in a lot of the concepts and storylines that I've been seeing and paying attention to and, you know, in the landscape right now is communication and communication is key. And just from my perspective, like I was really frustrated with Harper for not like listening to Robin in certain, you know, situations and instances when she's talking about like the type of home she wants and just other things. Like I was just like, man, like, If only he could hear what we hear, (laughs) you know what I mean? They just fell out of communication with each other. And I think like for it to be just that one thing makes it really sad. Had they only worked through that, like maybe they would have still been together. Maybe not. Yeah, I would just definitely attribute that whole entire relationship to just a lack of communication. I agree with you on that, Cameron. I feel like communication was a thing. But then also, I feel like they developed and grew into two different people. So initially, who we saw them being in the first best man, like the dating dynamic, 
in that early marriage, it was like, okay, and the second best man, the holiday. But now it's like, okay, now I'm growing in this direction, which was for Robin, and Harper was growing in this direction. And so, like when you mentioned the communication, I don't think that they had that foundation to say where the two of them were growing and how it would impact the other person or what support would look like in each growth direction. And that made both of them maybe feel like one is not following up or supporting the other. As well as when they went to therapy, I feel like that was a huge thing. And I'm glad that they showed them in therapy. The therapist highlighted how Robin had a lot of things in her head that she thought she said that she never said. And in that, no one can be a mind reader. And so that really played a huge disadvantage for Harper in being able to show up for her and how she needed to be supported or feel seen. There was an element to Harper's character that was so frustrating to me, which was like, it was a lot of self-importance. I mean, obviously the entire like series, the whole thing is built off of like this book and then this book that is going to become a movie. Oh my God. But at a certain point I was like, Harper, get over yourself, get over yourself. And to your point, Gordis, I was wondering if like, yeah, he did change into a different person, but did he change so much that he became a person that can't listen to someone? It's like not in tune with another human being, someone that he's been with for so long. That's where I ultimately like ended up. And so that also just to kind of tie it back to Jordan, I was like, yeah, it definitely doesn't make sense for him to then go over here. There's like a an insecurity there, like a, just like a self-importance there that he needs to like work through before he goes to any of these characters that we like have developed this connection to. I'm like, any relationship that he goes to now, it's not going to work. At least that's how I felt with Harper at the end of the day. I did think the scene where like all of his boys come in there and support him, I, I loved that. That was probably one of my favorite scenes, despite my feelings for Harper toward the end. Because it was like, no matter how like down bad you are, like at least you have your boys, at least you have your support system, at least you have your community. But still, I was just like, dang, <laughs> he just cannot get over himself in a way. You know, Cameron, I would argue that self-importance really has been there with Harper since the first best man. So when I hear you say, did he change that much? Like, I feel like Harper is who Harper has always been. And I feel like, yes, communication definitely was a big issue between Harper and Robin. And I agree with you, Gorgeous. Like, I loved seeing the snippets of therapy. And because I think that is very real, right? Like when you are with your partner and like, you are imagining like that you have said this thing and that they know this thing. And then the therapist asks you like, what have you said then? It's well, no, duh. So they don't know, right? So I thought that was a very real picture but I also feel like Harper and Robin probably never should have gotten together because in some ways as I look back on like the 1999 original best man and then where we saw Robin in the final chapters it always feels like she has been on the outside of the circle right and so even in a way that like Candace and Shelby did not like they to me felt very much like they were in the circle. Whereas Robin always felt to me a more peripheral character. So in the first best man, you know, we kind of see her 
kind of she comes to the wedding later right so after all this drama has gone on and like she is trying to pull Harper together like okay you gotta fix it kind of thing so she's on the outskirts there and then even in the final chapters we see her kind of being the one like at the house with the other kids while everybody else is out looking for LJ and to me she has always felt like a supporting character as opposed to like this is Harper like Harper is like almost central to the circle but his partner feels outside in a way that I don't think she should be because of who Harper is right and so I also think that they probably shouldn't have gotten together because it doesn't feel like he has ever really like gotten over this thing with Jordan right and so in a lot of ways Robin it always felt was like a second place and even though I'm sure day to day it didn't feel that way like in the moments that counted it always felt like there was an opening for Jordan. I can't imagine in my own relationship, like feeling like I was not like the first choice, right? I feel like that would take a toll on me. So I don't know. We didn't hear a lot of that with Robin, but in, in a lot of ways, it felt like that played out. Any thoughts there about like, okay, should they even have been together in the first place? You really hit the nail on the head with that one, because when you think about it, essentially she was kind of like third because Mia, he was in a in dynamic with Mia. Then it was this dynamic with Jordan. And then it was her. So really, what space could she have in the inner circle when Harper had already had engagements and, you know, dynamics with the people within the circle? So it's like she didn't really stand a chance to have a space designated for her like Candace and Shelby because of his doings with the inner circle, within the foundation of the circle. Good point. So it's like her being an outsider, that's the only space I feel like she could have had for some sense of normalcy. And this is why I love creatives because both of y'all said outsiders, like she was outsider, she was on the outskirts, she was and then she goes abroad with her daughter, with her mm. baby. Mm. <laughs> and she literally is outside of it. She's as far away as she possibly can be. And so I think that like part of that was very intentional on behalf of the writers to kind of like make us feel that way. Cause I felt the same way. It's just like, there's something out of place about Robin's character. Can't really pinpoint what it is. Are they supposed to be together? And like, you're questioning that the whole time. And then eventually like just culminates in her just saying deuces and leaving. Okay, so let's talk about that, because that, I think, was a lot of the conversation <laughs> that I saw in our community and even otherwise on social was her making the decision to move to South Africa and take the baby. And we saw his friend group, which I was a little surprised by, honestly, rally around her making this decision, right? And telling him, like, stop being selfish for once and, you know, like this kind of thing. So did y'all agree or not with her decision to move and take a uh, little Mia with her? I thought it was a trump card for sure. And I feel like it could have gone either way. I know that's sort of a cop-out answer, but I think for where their story ultimately ended, I think that I understand the choice that the writers made to have the baby go with her because it does. It marks this time in this stage where Harper has to be unselfish. He has to think of like other people outside of himself. And I'm happy that it ultimately happened that way because I think that if it happened the other way and he got to keep their daughter in the States with him, then I think a lot of us would be like, okay, well, did you learn anything? Whether or not I agree that she should have like ultimate, like in real world, in the real life, I'm not sure. 
I understand why that is a point of contention for sure. I think from a parental aspect, as well as from a co-parenting, because I currently co-parent as well, I think that was a hard one, especially in the sense of how impactful it was for him and for the both of them. I think that she was very driven on what this experience meant for her and what it looked like for their daughter, especially when they went over and visited for the summer and they had a good time and all of that. But in the sense of just the shift, I think that it could have been played out differently. I would have wanted it to look more cohesive with them coming together in agreement. But again, you know, sometimes it don't happen that way. So I'm indifferent. I have feelings on both ends. I'll also say that, like, to counter what I was saying earlier, that I think typically or the majority of the time we do see the situation where the mom wins out and ends up taking custody or ends up being the like sole provider, this and the other. So I feel like they perpetuated that narrative just a little bit. But again, in this particular case, I support it because of some of the stuff that Harper's character needed and some of the ways that Harper's character needed to develop. So I did not like, (laughs) I did not like that angle at all. And I agree with you, Cameron, like it definitely was the big joker, right? This was the, okay, I finally am doing something for myself. Like I am going completely against anybody I have ever been in this relationship with this person. I thought that was harsh though. Like you gorgeous. If that became the ultimate decision, I would have preferred to see some conversation about like, this is what I want to do, you know, this kind of thing. And like for them to arrive to that decision together, as opposed to her kind of taking the baby and like, okay, you just got to deal with it. Right. And so, you know, it wasn't as if he was an uninvolved father. So I thought that was drastic. And like I said, it was very surprised to see the way that the friend group rallied around her. Like that to me didn't feel in character with who they had been to Harper before. So it kind of felt like everybody was taking me aside, but also maybe just felt bad for her, right? Because like he has been so ridiculous the whole relationship, right? So I could also see why people felt like, okay, yeah, you know, like, hey, let her have this round. But to me, that felt very drastic to move the child to a whole different continent without some discussion and for him to just kind of find out in that meeting. That felt very drastic to me. I also think that modeled, though, a lot of real life experiences where that happened in the sense of like Cameron mentioned that Trump card. And so that probably connected with a lot of people's narratives while going through divorces or separations with families and children where there's one parent that just comes in and blindsides you, essentially. And then what do you do? How do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. So what are your feelings about where we have left off? So do you feel settled and complete? So this is called the final chapter. So I do not think we're getting any more. So do y'all feel complete with where we have left off with these beloved characters? For everyone but Harper and Jordan, I do. I think that they've like sort of let the door open with Jordan's character specifically At least I want to hope so, because like, again, like part of me wants to see her have it all. Like, is she really just going to beat this boss lady that isn't ever complete romantically or at least feeling complete? So like, even if she's a single woman, like tie that up for us. She's happy, right? She feels whole, right? Or if she's with someone, for me, as it stands right now, there always will be that question of whether like, 
Jordan ever got what she deserves as a human being. And that is just like wholeness and peace. I think for me, I'm okay with how it ended, where the storylines ended for everyone. Because I think essentially it allows you to just accept who they are in their storylines and accept kind of where the story all in place for them individually. And sometimes we want that closure, but we don't always get it. So it's like having to accept that and just see it for what it is. Like for your case in point, Cameron, maybe we can envision, you know, Jordan's outcome could look like this. It could have looked like this. It could be this. And maybe them leaving it open like that is for there to be like this whole, there is no perfect ending. Whatever the ending is, is what it could be. And then for Harper, he just, his own character. I think, again, the development of him having to grow and continuing to grow is that's kind of where it left off for me for him. But I think everybody else's storyline was, it ended and wrapped up well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I feel complete with where we left this off. Like, I don't feel like, oh, I would love to hear a 10 year reunion kind of thing. Like, I feel like if we don't see these characters in this iteration anymore, that I feel good about where we kind of close the door with them. So I agree with you both there. All right, y'all. Well, thank y'all so much for sharing your thoughts with me. We will have to come back when we find a new favorite show to to kind of deep dive into and discuss. Do you want to share um, your social media handles for anybody who wants to follow you or keep up with whatever you have going on? Sure. I am on Instagram at Cameron and Taylor. I am on Instagram as well. Fixing the Fixer. Perfect. We'll be sure to include that in the show notes. Thank y'all again for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Shout out to Cameron and Gorgeous for sharing their incredible insight on this iconic and everlasting franchise. To learn more about them and their work, visit our show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash bestmanfinalchapters. And don't forget to text this episode to two of your girls who you know enjoyed the franchise as well. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to visit our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the Sister Circle. It's our cozy corner of the internet designed just for Black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. This episode was produced by Frida Lucas and Elise Ellis, and editing was done by Denison Bradford. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. 
Conair Girl Bomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girl Bomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.